Thank you for listening. Welcome to America's Voice for Energy. I'm Marita Noon, and each week I have the, top, the opportunity to bring you a variety of experts addressing the topic of the column that I wrote that very week. This week, my column is entitled, Solar City and the Silver Spoon. And in my column, I addressed at the beginning uh, a big tax benefit or a big benefit that Solar City received from the state of New York. And in that research that I did, I ran across our first guest, and we've been chatting a little bit before we, we go on the air, and I think you're going to be so appreciative of his insights. We're going to be talking first with Michael J. Hicks, who is the George and Francis Ball Distinguished Professor of Economics and Business Research and Director. Now, this is with Ball State University in Indiana. Now, there's a picture of Michael on the website. You listeners might want to check that out. He doesn't look old enough to have accomplished everything that he has accomplished. He's earned doctoral and master's degrees in economics from the University of Tennessee and a bachelor's degree in economics from Virginia Military Institute. He's a retired Army Reserve infantryman, having served in combat and peacekeeping operations in North America, North Africa, excuse me, Southwest Asia, Korea, and Japan. He now lives in Yorktown, Indiana, and has three children 10 to 15. So, Mike, you've got young children, but all your experience says you'd have to be much older than your picture makes you look. Well, I'm well-preserved, I think. (laughs) Well, I appreciate uh, you joining me today on America's Voice for Energy, and uh, I'm excited to talk about this broader subject. I didn't know uh, when I invited you to join me that, that we would, you know, Go be able to go as broadly as our, our pre-air uh, conversations indicate that we that we would. But because I started with my column um, and discovered you because of this project in New York with Solar City, um, let's start there, and then we'll we'll move on to some of the other uh, tax incentives that that you have expertise in. So in my piece, I quote you uh, as saying that. You say that this deal that, that Solar City got from New York is an eye-popping deal, a very questionable use of state funds, but a huge windfall for the investors of Solar City. So can you, you know, expand on that a little bit? Tell us why you came to that conclusion. Right. Well, the announced um, amount of this incentive, so listeners probably are aware that Solar City is a company that installs photovoltaic cells and uh, you know which are solar cells that go on your roof they they can power your home and importantly which we'll, we'll probably talk about later uh, you can typically sell at the retail price that energy back to a power company that's um, you know has other obligations like maintaining the the, the infrastructure and the the network so uh, it's a it, for a household. It could be a fairly lucrative thing to do, but it's pretty expensive to install those five, six, seven, eight, ten thousand dollars for even an entry level unit. This company, Solar City, uh, offered the state of New York to, you know, take about four hundred thousand dollars to create a job to create fifteen hundred jobs. They say by building this facility in New York and uh, the. 
the governor of New York, who has had a very lengthy uh, tax incentive program, which very few companies had taken advantage of, uh, jumped on the deal. Again, about yeah, $400,000 really, Why would anyone want to do business in New York? It's so business unfriendly. Well, right, and that's been, you know, uh, your listeners are, may not be aware that there's a huge program that, that Governor Cuomo has, has built that essentially gives you tax-free for 10 years, uh, you know, the opportunity to, to, to go to New York. But still many businesses, few businesses do that simply because uh, it is at the end of the 10 years you're still getting, you know, just absolutely rapacious tax rates. So, uh, this deal looked to be to try to uh, give everybody impression of economic development success in New York, but it, at the cost of $400,000 a job, I suspect most workers would just be happy to take the money and run. Well, from my work on looking at um, a lot of green energy subsidies, uh, that's pretty much how it penciled out. We would have been better off to just pay these people not to work than to try to create these jobs. Absolutely, and I think from a job creation standpoint, you know, you, you, you don't have to be an economist. You can just say what's going to create more jobs, something that's low cost or something that's high cost. There's always going to be something that's low cost, right? Yeah. And so um, the the creation of these jobs is really just the transfer of taxpayer dollars from an already, uh, you know, rapaciously taxed citizens of, of New York State to a company that is largely led by people whose major experience in business or success in business is beginning tax incentives. So Lyndon and Peter Rive, the two principals of this company, are backed by Elon Musk, you know, whom everybody loves, but whose great business success at Tesla you know, is losing $20,000 per car but having that heavily subsidized by uh, the federal government and state governments uh, to manufacture those those cars in states that have huge tax incentives. So these are a new class of entrepreneur whose major success is not in making things but convincing state and local governments to subsidize their operations. Yeah, that's why in my column I worded it that they built government programs. I mean, the government programs are there, and shame on Congress for extending them. I wrote a piece of, oh, I don't know, maybe six, eight weeks ago specifically on Tesla, and, you know, like you've mentioned, I'm aware of, of the benefits they take advantage of, but I had been, prior to that, totally unaware of really where Tesla makes their money, um, which is in um, emissions credits. I was not aware uh, of that whole trading thing going on kind of behind the scenes there, and I follow this stuff pretty closely and was really shocked to see how uh, how Tesla does with that. Have you followed that at all? I realize no. I'm off on it. I realize I'm off on a little bit of a tangent here, but no, and I think that's part of the overall narrative is that what happens here is that uh, Congress or state legislators are uh, convinced by a lobbying group that there is an opportunity for them to have all kinds of economic activity in their region. Um, and all they need to do is to pass this, you know, law that simply allows a simple trade to exist or a credit that will incentivize somebody. And then really what you get are, again, entrepreneurs whose job in their company is primarily to structure both finance and accounting and legal professionals who will manipulate those perfectly legally, which is scary, to 
uh, be profitable. And it's not just limited to the energy company. I mean, Cabela's, which is one of my favorite stores, for almost 15 years had no uh, had more um, tax incentives from state and local governments than they did profits. They wouldn't have been profitable without really? those tax incentives. And Angie's List, right here, uh, here in, in Indiana, uh, a national uh, clearinghouse for 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 businesses, has received more property tax abatements in Indiana than it has made profit. So it's not, you know, the the problem with the energy industry is that it's so complex, and uh, margins are made on on you know, big movements are made on very small margins, that this is a very susceptible industry for the types of tax incentives or the type of, of credit incentives that allow a very uh, astute business person to, you know, become an entrepreneur in government programs, as you have said, not an entrepreneur of making things or providing services. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, I think it's startling, and that's why I've written on this, because I want the average person uh who I try to write for, I try to write in such a way that my work uh, can be received by someone who's not in the industry and they can get it. And I hope that when they, you know, continue to read what I write that they become really outraged at how these incentives work. And I think it's really indicative that right before, um, before it was clear that Congress was going to extend the investment tax credit for solar as a part of the omnibus budget deal, um, that Solar City's uh, stock price was in the tank. And as soon as it was clear that that was going to, that tax credit was going to be extended, suddenly uh, their tax their, their stock price skyrocketed, uh, which to me, and I'm not an economist, um, I'm really just a communicator, I'm not, and um, I follow energy, but um, can you explain that? Oh, sure. The investors in Solar City, and this is really gets to my comments, are, you know, basically betting that in the short run, this company is going to be able to generate enough revenues through power repurchase agreements, through selling credits by getting uh, tax incentives or tax abatements, which give it a big margin, right? So if there are two companies that are spending, you know, 50 cent a kilowatt hour in installation costs, which is a bit lower than Solar City's current cost, and one of them doesn't have to pay any taxes or doesn't have to have any capital expense as Governor Cuomo has provided, well, then that's, that company is going to have a huge advantage. And so if you're an investor chasing a very short-run gain, then having these apparatus that ensure a pretty high, uh, uh, you know, pre-tax or post-tax profit is the type of thing that's going to cause investors to move there. So if you're a taxpayer in New York, what you have done with the Solar City project is you have created, you know, the, let's say a thousand, let's say they're right and there's 1,400, 1,500 jobs, right, with installation from this. I think that's probably exaggerated as it often is, but yeah, yeah, of course for, those for, numbers are exaggerated. For for you know, sake of giving the benefit of the doubt, let's say that is that's still four hundred thousand dollars a job. And so what you've really done, you haven't helped those workers. Those workers would be better off, you know, getting a, a, a that payment directly. Uh, so you haven't really helped those workers. What you've done is raise taxes on everybody in, in, in New York or reduce public services on everybody in New York to provide the uh, investors in Solar City 
and good short-term rate of return. And so if you're, you know, Elon Musk or if you're Lyndon or Peter Rive, uh, you're any of the investors in their family that are doing this, that's, this is a great deal. If you're Andrew Cuomo, you can claim that you've created these great green jobs at the Democratic National Convention. You know, that's a great thing, too. So there are, there are a lot of winners here, you know, Governor Cuomo and investors in Solar City. The losers are the you know, 20 million citizens yeah. of, of New York and people who would like to live there but just can't bear the tax burden or businesses that have been paying taxes and not finding themselves on the sweet side of a deal like this. Yeah. We're about out of time for this segment, Mike. Are you available to stay with me for the next segment? I'd be delighted to. Good. It's uh, such interesting information. I want to talk more about uh, the net metering side of this issue as well, which again, just like the New York deal uh, penalizes the, the taxpayers of New York, the net metering deal, which makes Solar City work, penalizes the average rate payer. So you're listening to America's Voice for Energy, and we'll be back in just a moment. Please stay tuned. Affordable health insurance was the promise of Obamacare, but for many, the government mandate caused more problems than it solved. This is Dr. Elena George from Medicine on Call. And I want to tell you about a truly affordable alternative allowed under Obamacare, Liberty HealthShare. Liberty HealthShare bypasses doctor and hospital panels, giving you the freedom to choose. And with a maximum of $500 out-of-pocket per person and 100% coverage up to $1 million per year per occurrence, you can rest assured knowing you and your family are protected. Coverage starts as low as $107 per month and also includes dental, vision, pharmacy, and holistic care. Liberty HealthShare puts you back in charge of your health. Visit them online at libertyoncall.org. Again, for a true affordable alternative to Obamacare, visit libertyoncall.org or call toll-free 1-800-714-6993 today. The United States Justice Foundation, since 1979, has been dedicated to instructing, informing, and educating the public on legal issues confronting America. That means you and me. When necessary, this nonprofit organization has had to litigate to present the constitutional view. Since 1980, USJF has submitted testimony to the U.S. Senate on all but one U.S. Supreme Court nominee. Learn more about USJF by visiting their website at www.usjf.net. Support this nonprofit as it defends our rights, our liberty, and our Constitution. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. Today we're talking, starting our conversation, at least with my column for this week called Solar City and the Silver Spoon. And we're kind of picking on Solar City uniquely out of the solar industry because they really uh, uniquely uh, maximized uh, the system that the government puts out there for them. And I'm delighted to have Michael Hicks with me to talk about this. And he's an economist with Ball State University. And we've been having a, a fascinating conversation, so I appreciate, Mike, that you're able to stay with me for an additional segment. And as, as I said when we concluded the previous segment, you know, I'd like to go a little bit into the whole net metering idea because just last week, at the end of the end of 2015, 
2018, Nevada became the latest state to revise their net metering policies. And on Tuesday, January 5th, the New York Times has an opinion editorial that's getting a lot of comments. It's got me kind of wound up. And it's called The Conservative Case for Solar Subsidies. And it's got a whole bunch of fans of solar commenting. And I'm, I'm, I like, I'd like to have solar panels on my roof, frankly. And, and a, a little-known fact is that the oil and gas industry is, if not the largest, one of the largest industrial users of solar panels. So, I mean, solar panels certainly have a place but I'm in support of them in a free market, limited government kind of way, not when these handouts are there um, to to make companies like Solar City or investors to, to, to line their their pockets. So what we've seen uh, in Nevada, as I said, they're just the latest state to revise their net metering policies. So from your analysis from your review, uh, what do you think about net metering? And we haven't really explained it for our listeners yet. Well, you know, let me give a quick shot at it. So this is the type of thing that is just very much ripe for abuse. Um, if I am, you know, we obligate energy producers to provide energy to everybody in their service area, right? And that means they have to maintain infrastructure and they have to maintain supplies. They can't turn off the electricity when it gets a bit costly. They have, they, they're obligated to do that. And uh, individuals in most states can install their own energy-producing platforms. And this is either, you know, solar power or wind power. Um, they're very common on farms here in the Midwest to have a combination of the two. And, and that's all fine and good, but then they're uh, typically permitted to uh, resell it or forced, the, the energy producers are forced to buy it back at retail prices. And so uh, what that, the problem with that is that there's no uh, obligation by the consumer to maintain the infrastructure, so it's a huge financial windfall for the person who has the wherewithal to buy a small, you know, windmill or a, a, a solar power facility, um, and it's very costly to the businesses that are producing energy for us, the power companies. And so, what you've seen around the company, or country, are places that have a lot of sun. Hawaii, Nevada, Arizona, and others, or, or a lot of wind, uh, like Michigan, Indiana, to uh, really rethink this rule so that it's not such a windfall because it really transfers the costs of production away from the, the these typically bigger you know more affluent households or businesses to ratepayers everybody everywhere else and it's a it's such a big problem that the National Association of uh, black state legislatures has come out against it because it's driving up rates for people who don't have a, a lot of money uh, to provide to, to buy electric power. So it's really, I, I think, a classic subsidy that seems hard to understand and sounds like a good idea, but it has such pernicious secondary effects that it, it needs and will be looked at everywhere in the coming years. Yeah, and, you know, it's, it's baffling to me that, as I'm reading, as I mentioned, this, this piece, the conservative case for solar subsidies in the New York Times on January 5th, the comments from people um, who have solar panels and think they're wonderful, and they acknowledge that they couldn't have afforded them without the 
subsidies, and then the, many of them are talking smack about the, the revising of the policies and net metering and how unfair they think this is, and it, it just baffles me that they are unable to see the other side of it. Now, what Nevada has done, frankly, I think is a little unfair in that, and, and this will, my guess is they did it this way so they can come back and reach a compromise. That's what they really want because that's what they did in Arizona as well. They kind of reached really far, and then they came back with a compromise. But in Nevada, they have applied this cut in rates to people who already – you know, bought systems based on this data. They bought systems based on the idea that they were going to basically get retail rate for the excess energy that they produce. And now uh, in Nevada, they've come in and cut that back to wholesale, in which case um, the, the economics don't add up for the homeowner. Right. Or small business. I think a lot of farmers are, are – are big users of this, particularly in the Midwest. You know, I have a lot of land. I'll install some solar panels and some windmills. I'll sell it back, and I can make a fairly good profit from doing that. If I have the revenue for an initial investment to, you know, I have $60,000 to install this solar field, I can make money. I can supplement my farm income pretty handily doing this. The problem is none of that that just bleeds money away from the infrastructure side. So that means that, you know, all the additional transmission and uh, and uh, facility or, you know, the, the, the power lines and the distribution lines are not being maintained on uh, the, that dime. It's being maintained by a smaller number of users. And so if you're in a place like Indiana where you got five, 600 of these up and running, it's not a problem. If you go to Hawaii, where the sun shines uh, 345 days a year, it's a it's already been a crisis. And I have a great yeah. anecdote uh, for for Hawaii that just sort of demonstrates why uh, this New York Times article might be problematic. I have a colleague, an economist, does what I do in Hawaii, and uh, the state. He said electricity prices got so expensive five or six years ago that he had to unplug his wine cooler. You know, so the outrage. <laughs> that, that, that's hard times, I tell you. Right, right. Well, and then the the uh, the, the uh, state said, "Well, we need more net metering," so they provide the tax incentive along with the net metering. He's, he he sat down, did the math in two minutes, went back and plugged in his wine cooler. So here's a fairly well compensated economics professor. He, you know, he he pays a, writes a check for six seven thousand dollars, have the solar panels installed in his home, sells it back, makes a profit on it, gets a tax credit for all the expenditure. His neighbors, who don't have that sort of uh, capacity to do that, are stuck paying higher electricity rates, and so. You know, instead of generating savings, you know, or energy conservation, heaven forbid, um, all this program does is it incentivizes households to manipulate the system. So it's, it's well, and Hawaii's totally blown their system up, haven't they? I mean, I, not literally, but you know, they've totally taken the whole incentive package and revamped it because they found they were in they were in big trouble. You're right, because everybody who could write a five thousand dollar check would get a permitted income from power companies and anybody who didn't have five thousand dollars sitting around to install an energy you know plant in there on their rooftops 
was just killed, and this caused a huge explosion in people providing, you know, electric power services. I visited my brother when he was at Hickam Air Force Base, and, and all around the streets are people, you know, setting up these these facilities, and it just clobbered ratepayers who didn't have five thousand dollars of savings. You know, young households, lower income households. It's it's a pernicious example of the sort of embedded uh, inequities that are just wrapped around energy production in the United States, primarily with the green energy, you know, uh, hoopla that we've had for more than a decade. Yeah, and again, back to this New York Times article, which obviously I'm a little fixated on today. But um, many people, the commenters, it's currently got 223 comments on it. And when I tuned into it this morning, it had 91. But... Um, or actually, I think it had 44 when I first tuned into this. So it's getting a lot of lot of response. People are talking about how wonderful things are in Hawaii and how visionary they've been in going solar. And and I just I just don't understand how people don't get this economic side of it. Right. Well, they're visionary because it benefits them. Right. So yeah. If I'm if I'm a rate if I used to be paying a lot for electricity. And I write a five thousand dollar check. My payback period is like four years, and now I can use energy as abundantly as I wish to double my wine cooler, as my colleague has done. You know that <laughs> that that sounds to me, if I'm very narrowly focused, that sounds like a great public policy. What you don't realize is that means that you know lights are you know you can't get computers up, and you know there there's cost cutting in lower income households. It's just always. Uh, very dubious to look at the second-order effects of these tax incentives. And I think we're in a very flush time for abuse in the green energy markets because it's, you know, been such a a high-profile opportunity for some politicians to look, you know, business-friendly when, in fact, it's very consumer-damaging. And it only helps the businesses that are receiving the incentives, not those that are doing something else equally useful. Mike, you've been a fascinating guest. We only have a couple minutes left. What do you, having looked at this and being an economist, et cetera, what do you foresee? Um, you know, we've talked about Hawaii, New Mexico, Arizona, Nevada have all made policy changes. California, surprisingly, is looking at it. Um, what do you see uh, for, the, for other states in the year or two ahead? Oh, I think we're going to see uh, as... The subsidies have made these alternative power sources so inexpensive or so profitable that we're going to start seeing states recognizing there's a problem. And since there are some big leaders that have already recognized there's a problem, uh, have done something to prevent just the, you know, the evisceration of of, of their electric power networks through this uh, these systems. I think we're going to see a lot more legislation, and I think we're probably primed. Um, in the next Congress to take a good close look at the tax incentive issues surrounding green energy, to balance them with, you know, legitimate concerns about pollution, uh, but but legitimate concerns, not simply, uh, you know, the Solyndra-type happy story. That We're getting the same thing with Elon Musk and, and Solar City. I think we're going to have to review those very carefully, and I think it's going to be a very difficult time period for these industries. Yeah, you know, I feel bad because I have a, an acquaintance, a neighbor of my mother's, who sold solar panels in, in Nevada 
for Solar City, and, and I, I'm sure she's going to lose her job, and yet you feel terrible for that. But when you've got an industry that is based totally on a model of government handouts, um, you know, just as the government gives, the government can take away. Right. It's not. It's not a market economy. It's not a sustainable economy. And I think we'll have to, you know, look look at a significant change in the next year or so. And hopefully, it's informed by the very difficult experience that we've seen in 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 many states. Yeah, Michael Hicks. I appreciate uh, you're taking your time to join me today. It's been a treat to get to know you, and I'm. I hope that uh, we have future opportunities to interact. Thank you so much. Good to be with you, Marina. Thank you for joining me on America's Voice for Energy today, and stay tuned. We'll be right back with more on this particular topic. Thanks for listening. The disease of addiction is a life-altering challenge, not just for the person suffering its effects, but also for the family and friends who support and love the one caught in its grasp. What should be the course of treatment? Who is the best person to render treatment? And what is the best place to go for the care that is needed? We know that you want answers to these and many more questions. Call 770-696-9862 and speak to a representative of the Atlanta Healing Center. They can tailor a program specifically designed to address the needs of the person suffering with an addiction or give you guidance as to where that help may be found. Information is the key, and the trained staff at AHC is here to assist. If you wish, you can also get more information on the website located at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. Watchdog is a term given an organization like the United States Justice Foundation, which since 1979 has been watching out and, when necessary, taking the appropriate action from testifying to litigating to protect our constitutional rights. USJF, a nonprofit organization, is nationally recognized not only as a watchdog, but many in the government, as well as those involved in legal cases, have also called the USJF a bulldog for the tenacious approach in their presentation and proof of what is right. Find out more at www.usjf.net. Support USJF as they support you. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome back to America's Voice for Energy. We've been having a stimulating discussion on solar subsidies and net metering and and, uh, that whole topic. And in our last segment, we had a brand new guest to America's Voice for Energy, Michael Hicks. And now in this segment, we're going to have a regular one of my favorite guests, David Kreitzer, who is Senior Research Fellow for the Heritage Foundation, and uh, we always have a great time talking energy issues. So, David, thanks for joining me once again. Hey, thanks for having me on the show. I enjoy it, too. You know, it's this, this topic is so interesting, as I've written on it and followed it, uh, really launched by Nevada's decision to revise their policies. And then on January 5th, the New York Times had a, had a piece, I don't know if you've seen it, but it's getting a lot of comments and action called the conservative case for solar subsidies and the comments on that piece are amazing and then someone recently just forwarded me a piece from uh clean technica and uh, it's, it's just so fascinating to see the their take on things the clean technica piece says 
Nevada Solar Fee Retroactive. Make Solar City Exit State, which is, of course, the focus of my whole column is like, you know, they're like, well, we only can function. This business model only works with subsidies. And once you take those away, we're going we're gonna to take our marbles and go home. What do yeah. you see? Well, when I see it, you know, I, I, I believe that's true. I've talked to some people uh, who, who do industrial scale um, renewables, and they say we only go where the subsidies are big because <laughs> it, doesn't, it doesn't pay otherwise. And there, there are a variety of ways of subsidizing rooftop solar. Um, you subsidize it through renewable energy credits that they can then sell to in states where the utilities need to pretend that they have green energy. Uh, yeah, and, that, and that's what that's what was just extended uh, in the omnibus uh, budget deal. Is that correct? Th- th- no, that's a little bit. That's even different. That that's okay. Uh, All right. th- that's tax credits. Though there'll be states that have renewable portfolio standards that say a certain minimum fraction of the electricity any utility sells has to come from qualifying green sources, usually wind and solar, and usually there's a special cutout for solar that that even a smaller fraction has to be guaranteed to come from solar because it's so much more expensive than wind. Um, and so those, you, what happens in the southwest where you may be generating more solar credits than you need, you can sell them to people in New Hampshire, you know, where it's cloudier and they, and they want to buy them. So that's, that, that, that's the states imposing it on themselves. Okay, because I know in New Mexico um, they kind of dialed back on the incentives. I don't have the data in front of me, but they dialed back on the incentives because they had met their requirement. The, the, the legislature did pass in New Mexico, as in many other states, more than half of the states in the country, have some kind of renewable portfolio standard, may not always have that name. Right. And uh, so in the beginning, um, they had to, and you brought this up, I kind of forgotten about this, but they had to incentivize people to put solar panels on their roof. And once in New Mexico they met that, they're like, okay, now we can quit uh, incentivizing, and we can now make this actually economically feasible. And so they dialed back. And in this article I mentioned in the New York Times, um, even the state of New Mexico specifically is getting some smack from the from the proponents of solar that are just outraged that the right. state of New Mexico did this. Yeah, and you have this this odd sort of uh, talking out of two sides of the the mouth uh, thing where. The solar people say it's really competitive. It you know it costs less than you know yeah. grid, grid parity, but it won't work without subsidies and mandates. Well, you know you, it, it can't be both. You can't say it's cheaper and it's competitive, but it doesn't work without subsidies, um, which is is what they say. And we see how much it doesn't work by episodes like you just explained in, in Nevada um, or in other states where when they get rid of the mandates and they get rid of the subsidies. Solar City says, well, we're packing up. It doesn't make sense. Well, if it, if it were economical, it would make sense. But the, the uh, thing about Solar City and those rooftop solar uh, providers, you know, there, there are all sorts of funny finance things that I can't even follow. But the, the net metering one allows them to sell what is not even as good as regular wholesale dispatchable electricity that is dispatchable means you can turn it on you can turn it off when you when you need it and when you don't need it um the stuff on the roof comes when it's sunny you know not when you need it and they get to sell that not at the wholesale price which would even be more than it's worth but at the retail price which 
is a huge benefit because it doesn't, you know, it, it allows the consumers who may be away at work while their solar panels are generating electricity that they're not using to deduct a retail value for each of those kilowatt hours from their bill. And they may be using the electricity at night when nobody's solar panels are working. And so the, the power companies have to build the plants. They have to build the distribution networks. They have these huge costs for that peak capacity. Um, and that's usually shared by everybody. But when you have the net metering, then the people with the rooftop solar don't contribute that, even though they're using that peak capacity. Yeah, and if, if uh, you know, there is a storm and there's no sun for days on end, those people would be unhappy if their lights weren't on, if they didn't have that. And so even at times where there's theoretically peak solar power available, the utilities have to have du duplicitive or whatever the right word is there right, right. Uh, for they've got to have the, usually it's natural gas in this day, but a lot of places right. it's still uh, coal available. And those power plants don't run at maximum efficiency right. when they have to be on and off and on and off and on and off. They run at maximum efficiency when they're on, and it stresses the metals and all kinds of things. As they, And, you know, it just baffles me, especially as I was reading these comments on this New York right. Times article, which I, I'm, as people are listening to this whole show will realize I'm fixated on today, <laughs> because it just baffles me that people don't see that side of the equation, and I, my answer is, right. how can anyone that's owned a business knows that you cannot buy your product at retail and sell your product at retail and stay in business very long, but yet people seem outraged that the utilities want to pay them wholesale for their electricity instead of retail. Yeah, you know, I, I, on, on the surface, I can I can sympathize with them. It's sort of like, well, you know. If I grow tomatoes in my backyard in the summer, I don't have to buy as many tomatoes from the grocery store. Why should I pay them for all of the tomatoes I grow? But it's not tomatoes. You know, the, the huge number of, amount of the cost of electricity are in the fixed costs. And, again, yeah. for that capacity when the peak capacity. So, you, you know, people don't want electricity re that's reliable 90% of the time or 95% of the time or even 99% of the time. It has to be way more reliable than that. So even... If, and it's not the case, but even if it were the case that solar was providing electricity at the peak demand times 99% of the time, it's not true, but even if it were, <laughs> you, still, you still have to have that capacity for the other 1%. <laughs> and, you, and those costs have to be paid And, and you've got to keep those power plants ready to turn on at a right. moment's notice. Yeah, you don't know when that 1% is. And so, yeah. uh, you know, you, you have to have them ready. They have to, you know, they can't, you can't run them up in 10 minutes. They have to be run up in 10 milliseconds. Um, and so, yeah, so you have to have spinning reserve. You have to have, you know, reserve beyond that and, and so on. So it's just there are a lot of costs. And it's um, and when you, when you realize that, then the tomato analogy breaks down, um, and you have to say, well, why, why shouldn't everybody that's getting a benefit from having this reserve capacity uh, pay for it? And that's that's when it comes to say, well, that's, this deal with the net metering uh, is bad for all the people that don't have rooftop solar. Yeah, exactly, and that's what these states are finding out. That they're finding out that uh, you know that we this is not sustainable. When very few people were putting solar panels on the roof, as I said, there was a yeah. there's a need to incentivize it. 
but now they've reached their their uh, legislated limits, and so they're like, well, we're going to dial back on this. And what's happened is a company like Solar City, and really specifically Solar City, because mm-hmm. Elon Musk, owner of Solar City, is is uniquely uh, gifted <laughs> at at um, bilking, as I say in my column, these government programs that shame on Congress. We've now extended. Yeah, 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 not, and not just Congress, but at the state level and, and so on. So he's very good at playing that game, and he's certainly not the only one, but probably no, one but of he's, the he's, most he's, visible you know, ones. Yeah, and, and it, through Tesla as yeah. well, um, you know, I wrote a, a piece on Tesla a few months back where I, in, in, in pro, what prompted me to write it is I discovered, and I wasn't aware of this, that Tesla makes most of their money selling emissions credits. It's not on cars. It's yeah, well, on emissions that, credits. Yeah, that's where they get. If you look at most of their net profit, you can say that's from the from the emissions credits. Uh, yeah, that's true. The, you know, the other thing is we you know we we can speculate as to what it would be if we go to thirty percent nationwide and so on. But the experiment's been done. You know, they've done this in in Denmark and in Germany that have yes. electricity prices that are two and a half to three times, maybe even more than the average price we pay in the U.S. And in fact. They can't afford. Germany is dialing back. Their their industry was, you know, they were threatened the the, light, the livelihood of, of the German industry because their power prices were so high. Um, we we see now in Germany like, in Germany, mm-hmm. David. They had um, I forgot what the what the term that they call it. You'll probably remember is that the utility companies were required to purchase renewable power first if it was available. Priority dispatch. That's what the term is. Right. Okay. Uh, they have, it, and a do you know? <laughs> do you know if any of the states in the United States, do, do any of the state policies have that kind of priority dispatch that says, you know, if renewables available, you must buy it? I'm not sure, but it sometimes it works out that way anyway because the you know where you have uh, a competitive market, say you, you're bidding on it. Um, if you have solar panels, you, you know you can bid to negative prices because you're getting subsidies. So yeah. you know that that's hard for for coal and gas uh, to to compete with, um, uh, you know, on spot markets. So you and if you talk to the people that run the grids, you know, if there is any renewable available, they always take it, because it, you know the the they, the people can't turn off the sun. So that electricity is going into the grid, um, and they they're not going to go over and you know put shades on their solar panels. So they 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 have to sell it in essence. And Although, of course, as you and I both know, the solar panels specifically in the Northeast can get covered with snow and produce for <laughs> right, days right. or weeks on end and produce absolutely nothing. Right, right. And if the people in, in, in uh, the Southwest could put snow on their solar panels when the, the price went negative, they would. But <laughs> we don't have any more control over snow on the panels and sunshine either. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's, you know, so that's the, you know, that's the, the, the basic problem. And we, we see that... In order to make the solar work, it has to be subsidized. The subsidies have to be paid by somebody. Typically, they're paid by rate payers. And if, you know, if everybody had solar panels, then for the few kilowatt hours that they would get, well, it would actually be a lot of kilowatt hours at nighttime and so on, they would all have to pay this exorbitant price to cover the, the, the peak generating capacity and the distribution network. So that's, there are no free lunches. As it is yeah, now, and that's what uh, we're seeing happening. Yeah. Right. So what's happening now is that 
we're starting to see the lesson that Europe has already provided for us that we ignored. You know, we, when Spain is clawing back their subsidies for solar and wind as well. Uh, Italy, you know, these are, these are countries that, whose economies weren't that great, but they were made worse by their huge subsidies. And we know that. Because if it made their economies better, they would they would provide more of them. They would right, they exactly. More Instead of dialing back, on. yeah, they dial they dial back as fast as they can. Great Britain is doing the same thing. Their electricity prices were skyrocketing, as our president promised we could have here in the U.S. And um, you know they had a change of government in in no small part because of that. So they're yeah. they're dialing back their renewables as well because the subsidies are simply unaffordable. Uh, well, we're, we're out of time, David. I hope we have a change of government here uh, in part because of that as well. And you and I trying to get the word out there, hopefully we'll make an impact there. Okay, very good. Glad to have be on the show. Thanks a lot. Thank you. We've been talking with David Kreitzer, Senior Research Fellow for the Heritage Foundation, and we'll be right back. Cook Immigration Partners is your passport through the immigration maze. Whether it's help with e-verify in your business or help in how to document a new employee under the new I-9 rules or if you marry a foreign national, Cook Immigration Partners is your best choice for a legal advocate. Call us today at 866-286-6200. That's 866-286-6200. Or visit us on the web at www.immigration.net. When four members of Congress all die within four months, each of their deaths appears to be from natural causes. But when mysterious messages begin to appear in the form of quotations from long-dead revolutionary heroes, one reporter sets out to prove the existence of a serial killer. His search discovers dark secrets and an assassin shielded by people who need the very services that only he can provide. The Sun Silas Rising, a novel by Doug Dahlgren. On Kindle or paperback through Amazon.com. You're listening to AmericasWebRadio.com, the pioneer and leader in chat radio. Thank you for listening. Welcome to our closing segment of America's Voice for Energy. In this segment, I'm pleased to have with us David Williams, who is the president of the Taxpayer Protection Alliance. And in this segment, we're going to focus very specifically on net metering policy. As we've uh, talked about that in the previous segments, we're really going to focus on it here as to what is it uh, and, and how it is really kind of a regressive tax on those who can least afford it. So, David, thank you for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. So why is the Taxpayer Protection Alliance uh, interested in net metering? It doesn't well, seem to make sense on the surface. Well, it, it, it makes a lot of sense because we're looking at solar subsidies from kind of a large, you know, there, there's a lot of different moving parts with solar subsidies. Obviously, you have the solar investment tax credit, but now you have this um, uh, net metering, which really is, is affects taxpayers, but also uh, electric ratepayers in the individual areas around the country. So this has a huge impact on on the ratepayers and 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 also the taxpayers. And this is you know going to cost potentially millions of dollars to ratepayers and taxpayers if they don't get this right. And that's what we're concerned about: is that there's this push to get to renewable energy, um, and the government is right smack dab in the middle of it with uh, uh, with tax breaks and with net metering. So we're concerned that it's really going to end up costing billions of dollars um, in, in the long run. Yeah, you know, I, as I've talked to my previous guests, I'm this week 
uh, I'm kind of like, as my grandmother used to say, all jihad up. That was one of her expressions. <laughs> but I've been all jihad up about an article from uh, January 5 in the New York Times called The Conservative Case for Solar Subsidies. Have you happened to have seen that article? I absolutely did, and it's very disturbing <laughs> to read the case. Well, that's why I'm all jihad up about it. <laughs> Because there's really no conservative case for any sort of subsidies. I mean, that's, you know, let, let's just get that out of the way. Whether it's solar subsidies or any other subsidies, there is no conservative case to be made for subsidies. And it's very disturbing to, to see and to read these types of articles uh, from so-called conservatives saying that solar subsidies are good because they are not. They distort the market and they end up costing taxpayers billions of dollars. And, and therein lies the problem, is that taxpayers are on the hook for this. Um, and, you know, I, I read through this article, and there's just a lot of mistakes in the article, not grammatical mistakes, but just mistakes. Right, when, right. when they say that, well, the majority of energy is produced or, or used um, during the day when the sun is shining, that's wrong. That's absolutely false, because when you have rooftop solar for these uh, homeowners, they're not home during the day. They're home at night when they're using most of the energy when the sun isn't shining. So right there, I mean, that just jumped out at me as a huge misstatement. I'm not going to – I mean, it's a lie. It's a, it's a misstatement. It's all of those things. So yeah. right off the bat, they got it completely wrong when they're saying that uh, solar users uh, use most of their energy during the day. That's just absolutely wrong. Well, in my, from my perspective, it was nice for the New York Times to publish this piece one day after my piece was published uh, because they, they uh, certainly present different sides of, of the same coin. And I was really surprised. To me, what was the most, what got me riled up the most is the comments. There are 276 comments on there, and I actually rallied some people to come and add some perspective to the comments. And after I did that, the comments uh, did reflect a little more balance. But the solar users who commented on this piece, uh, they love their solar panels. And, of course, why wouldn't they love them? They got them uh, at a fraction of what they should cost in a free market. And the utility company is paying them for the electricity they generate. So in many cases, these consumers acknowledge that as a result of their solar panels, they have no you they pay the utility company nothing yet they're using the utility company service and they don't see a disconnect with this they don't they don't see right. that that's wrong and and therein lies the the issue of net metering is that they get paid to put energy back into into the grid but what here's the analogy that I love to use with people is that let's say you have a highway a highway that you know, you have to pay tolls if you're a car and every car goes on there. They pay their toll to, for the upkeep of the road. But then all of a sudden, you have these cars that come on the highway that, hey, um, you don't have to pay the toll. You're special. So you're going to well, use that electric, highway. electric cars don't. I mean, I, I've used that same analogy as well because electric cars uh, don't pay gasoline tax. Absolutely. You're absolutely right. So the, the wear and tear on that road is the same, but... You don't have people paying the, the same toll. So what happens is they have to raise the tolls on the other cars that are paying to keep up the, uh, the maintenance. And it's the same thing with the electric grid, is that when you have people that are not paying for the upkeep of the electric grid, 
you know, people that are that are using it. And you mentioned this, you know, when we first started talking about, um, you know, lower income people. These are the people that are going to have to pay more in their electric bill to keep the grid safe, to keep it, uh, you know, sturdy. So this is why net metering is bad, and this is what we're concerned about: is that the solar users are getting a free ride on the electric grid, but someone has to pay for it, and it's going to be the not, you know, the non-solar users. Yeah, and, and I would like to question these people and say, well, what if we just, since, since you take the utility company, obviously they, they treat the utility company with great disdain, well, let's, just, let's just take away the utility company. Let's just, you just be off the grid and, and see how you like it. Well, that's it. I mean, they're going to have to just be completely off the grid and, you know, and see, you know, what happens then. But what people don't realize is that when they get solar panels, these solar panels are not free. They are quite expensive. So you're talking about twenty to $30,000 to put in a really small array. We're not talking about a vast array. We're talking about, you know, a pretty small array of panels for about $30,000 that you're going to have to pay off. Uh, throughout the course of, you know, 20 or 30 years. And here's the catch, is that those panels degrade over time, so they're not as efficient. So the longer you have them, the less efficient they are, but you're still paying the, the three to $400 uh, a month of the lease on those panels. So it's, um, you know, nothing in life is free. <laughs> and people find out the, you know, the hard way that this happens. And we've heard from people, we've actually heard from solar panel users that say, listen, I was hoodwinked. I had a salesman come to my door. He said everything was going to be free, and I signed the lease. And listen, you know, buyer beware. You have to read the details of the contract. But they were definitely hoodwinked into signing the lease, and, and now they don't know what to do. Yeah, I've heard similar cases like that. So where where are these net metering policies going? I mean, as I wrote in my column, Nevada is the latest state to revise their policies angering um, – you know, people who have bought these these uh, leases, for example, and and it's it's unique in in Nevada in that they've made these um, they've taken away the net metering yeah. uh, benefits. They've not grandfathered in the existing users as as other places have done. Well, I, I think Nevada can be um, the canary in the coal mine here, as it relates to. And I, I think that's what the solar industry is so afraid of. Yeah, and so, you know, I'm really glad you brought up Nevada because what they're doing is that they're, um, they're increasing their monthly charge for energy customers who, um, who use solar and other uh, just what they call distributed generation, you know, solar or wind. So they're increasing the monthly charge, and they're decreasing the amount that they'll buy the energy for from these, uh, from these people. So I think this is it's very telling because Elon Musk, who is uh, the founder of SolarCity, one of the probably the biggest player in rooftop solar in this country, yeah. Yeah. Elon yeah. Musk took every, all of his business out of Nevada because he was not getting that subsidy anymore, is that the gravy train had come to this final stop, and he said, if I can't get subsidies, I'm not going to work. In, in the state, and he took 500 jobs with him. So I think this is very telling, just exactly how dependent the solar people are on, on ratepayers, on taxpayers, and on the government. Yeah, and that's exactly the point uh, of my column this week is to, uh, to alert, uh, you know, most of my readers in general are going to be limited government, free market, uh, conservative thinking people that 
generally read my column. And, uh, you know, I want to draw their attention to the fact that this stuff does not work without these subsidies, whether they come in the form of tax credits or whether they come in the form of uh, the net metering policies. Right, and, and Congress did us no favors in December when they passed the omnibus spending bill Amen. and they extended the life of the solar investment tax credit. I mean, they did it with wind, but, you know, solar was ready to expire at the end of 2016. I mean, we were, you know, we were smelling victory at the end of 2016, and uh, the Congress just took it away from us and said, no, we're going to extend them, um, you know, until uh, I think it's, what, 2022. So um, it's it was it was really disheartening to see that, that we were almost there, but it shows you how impressive the lobby is for um, for solar, you know, Solar City and these other companies, is that they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars. Solar City alone last year, I, I saw a number that they spent about half a million dollars in lobbying. Now, let's connect the dots here, is that they have received taxpayer money. Solar City has received taxpayer money. So they use taxpayer money to lobby Congress, to keep their subsidy. That makes me absolutely sick. It should. It should make everyone absolutely sick. And I'm sure you saw that after Congress passed that and extended these the tax credits, that uh, their their stock price skyrocketed. It absolutely did. I mean, they just you know were given another cushion for. Uh, for six years uh, to have this uh, this subsidy, and it, it, it's really unfortunate because, like I said, we were close to victory. But you know, this is corporate welfare. I mean, a lot of times that the homeowners are not getting this tax credit; it's the companies that are getting this tax credits because they will lease the panels to a homeowner, and they do that on purpose because that means they retain that the company retains ownership of those panels. So that means they retain that tax credit. The homeowner doesn't get the tax credit. The company does. And that's nothing more than corporate welfare. Yeah, and it's, it's a very complicated system to understand. David, we're down to about a minute left of our time together here. I want to give you an opportunity to make sure you give your website address and, you know, have any closing comments. We're at protectingtaxpayers.org. That's where the Taxpayers Protection Alliance is. And... I want people, when they think about solar power and solar energy, is to think about would it survive without government subsidies. And that is what we are trying to force the industry to do, is to survive without a taxpayer handout. Right now, they have not been able to do that. Uh, they receive about $39 billion a year in taxpayer subsidies, whether it's loans, grants, the investment tax credit, $39 billion a year, taxpayers are subsidizing solar power. Right now, it's less than 1% of all energy uh, generated in this country. It's 0.6% of all energy generated is through solar power. So it's not working, and that's why the taxpayer has to get out of this business, and that's why the solar investment tax credit has to go away. And kudos to Nevada for their net metering and really clamping down on these freeloaders. Let's call them who, what they are. They're freeloaders on the electrical grid. Yeah. David Williams is uh, president of Taxpayer Protection Alliance at protectingtaxpayers.org. Thanks for joining me today on America's Voice for Energy. Thank you so much. And we'll be back next week with another interesting topic relating to the energy policy in the United States. Please tune in again. Thanks for listening to America's Voice for Energy. This is AmericasWebRadio.com, the best in chat radio designed just for you.